And if she only lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her the small box. If she only lets me peck her on the cheek, then I'm going to give her the medium box. But if she really lets me smooch her up good, then uh, I'm going to give her the big box. So he made his purchase, and he left that evening. He sat down at dinner with his girlfriend's family. He was asked by the father, can you say the blessing before the meal? He began to pray, and he, he prayed earnestly, intensely he prayed, and uh, he prayed for almost five minutes, you know, and uh, when he finished praying, his girlfriend said, you never told me that you were such a religious person, and he said, well, you never told me your dad was a pharmacist. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing to pray, whatever the circumstances, amen? Uh, According to, to many, uh, these are public opinion polls. They're actually uh, eight or ten years old, what I found, but uh, Gallup organization uh, did a poll, and, and this is what it said. Ninety percent of Americans pray. This was according to his poll. Eighty-six percent of Americans said they believed in God. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That there's more people that pray than believe in God. Uh, that kind of shows you where folks are, don't they? 90% of Americans say we should pray and do pray. 86% say they believe in God. 83% said they favor prayer at graduation, and 70% said they favor prayer at Christian. Uh, Christian prayers in, in schools could be spoken. That's kind of the, uh, the thing. And we had talked about that a few weeks ago when we started studying the Lord's Prayer uh, and we went into that and kind of where the majority of Americans agree with, with prayer in school and prayer in public places. But there's a small majority that disagree. We're not going to go there again. But we dealt with Jesus talking to his disciples about praying. And y'all remember that we talked about they were there with Jesus. He began to pray and they asked him at the end of his prayer, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I touched on this a couple weeks ago. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to do miracles or teach us to, to teach or teach us how to love others or teach us how to preach like you preach. But one thing about Christ was so fascinating to them was his prayer life. And they wanted to, they wanted to imitate him in his prayer life. And that's where he began to teach them how to pray. And this week we're in Luke chapter 18 and we're going to continue on praying and uh you know, we, uh, we hear this uh, word, maybe you remember, and I, I realize I'm getting older uh, every day and every year, and that's a good thing. I don't want it to stop today, but, uh, you know, we used to have a, a saying that said, right on. Y'all remember that saying? Was that Jimmy off Good, good Times? Wasn't that Jimmy that always said, right on, brother? Well, this morning, my title is just pray on, brother, pray on. Whatever happens, and we see this in the parable in Luke chapter 18, uh, he's teaching about prayer, and, and I can imagine how Christ must have been uh, fascinated, or not fascinated, but uh, grateful, or, or I'm really not finding the right word I want about his disciples wanting to pray as he begins to teach them. So he follows up that teaching uh, with a parable about prayer, and he's telling his disciples a parable that says they should always pray, and not give up. In other words, they should pray on and not give up. And, and you don't have to wonder about the meaning of this parable because it's, its interpretation is given in the very first verse. And this is Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Christ is talking, he said here, as he teaches through this parable, 
In a certain town there was a judge who neither, who neither feared God nor cared about men. So here's the judge. He's not a godly man. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't think about God. And actually, he really don't even care about men. I'm going to explain a little bit of that in just a minute. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, or even though I don't care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she'll won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Pray on, is what Christ is saying. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now remember, Christ and God the Father is the just judge. But Christ says, listen to this unjust judge. Listen to what he says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? God will bring about justice. See, he says, compared to this unjust judge who finally gave up and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her what she's requesting, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, we'll see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on all the earth? This story begins with this widow who has an adversary and he's trying to take advantage of her. More than likely, uh, he was trying to cheat her out of some money or some land, maybe that her husband had left her. And this was prevalent in the Bible times because women basically had no legal rights or very few legal rights. So she's a widow, and uh, she has probably lands and probably has money that her husband has left her, and there's someone there, an adversary, that's trying to take advantage of her. In the Old Testament, if you remember the story of Ruth and Naomi... They returned to Bethlehem as widows, and when they returned, they had no legal right to claim the land that belonged to them. Uh, and fortunately, Boaz married Ruth, which uh, became what the Bible calls her kingsman redeemer, and we've talked about that before, and that, that's the way uh, Ruth could have restored to her and Naomi all the things that were, that were theirs by right. So that kind of explains what happened during these times. Not fair, I know, but that's the way it was during this time. So Jesus, they would have been familiar with the problems a widow would have been facing. So Jesus takes this, he tells them a parable, and in this parable, not only this widow had a, a hurdle of being a female, she had a, a terrible hurdle to face this, this terrible judge. He had no fear of God. We see that from what we read. He didn't care about what other people thought of him, and probably he was a Gentile judge that was appointed by the Romans. And how that all took place was the judgeships were sold and bought. So if you wanted to be a judge, if you had enough money, you could be a judge. You just went to the Roman government and said, hey, I want to be a judge, and here's what I'll pay to have that position. The reason they done that is they were crooked in that any type of, of a uh, problem that came before them, any type of a justice problem, they were just bribed off left and right. We went to Mexico on a mission trip a few years or several years ago, actually, and uh, the guy that we met there on the border, he was a translator for us, and he, was a, he had a green card, so he could go coming uh, from Mexico in the United States with no trouble, and we all went down and went into Mexico, and he said, I was driving a van, he was in another van. He said, if you have a wreck, get out and just say, no police, 
and, and just say, I'll give you $20. He said, if the police come, just look at the policeman and say, I'll give you $20. If he says no, say, I'll give you $40. And then he said, that's usually will do it. And they'll say, just, okay, just go on. Everybody go your own way. Because in Mexico, he said, if you have a wreck, both vehicles are impounded and both folks go to the judge. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. They don't try to figure it out there. They just take you, take you down to the courthouse and say, y'all work it out down there. He said, most all of the, the police and even the judges are just crooked. They just live off bribes. And he said, so just bribe them. <laughs> We're down there on a mission trip teaching a vacation Bible school, and the, the first person I talked to is a preacher from Brownsville, and he says, hey, you need to bribe anybody you can over there. So that was just the, the, the going of it. But during this day, uh, that was the, the common for the times, was to bribe the judge. But this widow, her, her problem was she didn't have any money. She didn't have the ability to go and to bribe the judge. So continually she's coming before him over and over again. She's crying out her request, grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. So he just dismisses her, dismisses her claim and she just keeps on. She's just praying on. Over and over and over she's coming before him. And, and I can imagine what he must have thought and I, we could probably be there too. Can you just think about when he sees her coming? Or when he's in her office and, and he, he hears her say, is the judge in today? And, and I imagine he was saying, oh, no, it's her again. Here, here she is. She's come before me again. Day after day, she's come before me again. She's bothering me over and over and over. And that word bothering translates as this, to poke in the eye. <laughs> Would that bother you this morning if somebody's just sitting there poking you in the eye? But what it means is she was constantly in his face. Another translation in the Greek means to beat down someone. So he, she was constantly in his face, constantly beating him down, just saying, hey, grant me justice over my adversary. Grant me justice over my adversary day after day after day. You wonder why her husband died? <laughs> He wanted to. That was it. No, anyway, that, that, that's, I'm sorry. That was, y'all can scratch that off. Let's just make sure y'all was listening. Uh, but you know, she begged and nagged and nagged and begged till finally it paid off, didn't it? Finally, the judge said, Hey, I don't believe in God. I don't care about people, but I'm going to grant your wish. I, I'm tired of this poking in the eye. I'm tired of you being in my face. I'm tired of you constantly beating me down. So why did Christ tell this example? Why did he, he use this parable in teaching us to pray? So there's four things I want us to look at this morning, and the first is this. Worry not, but pray. Worry not, but pray. This parable, as we see this story, the widow didn't sit down at home and start wringing her hands and focusing on her problem and thinking about, oh, woe is me, what am I going to do? Instead of worrying, she got up and she approached the only person that could help her. She approached the judge, and the judge is the one she had to go to. So as she realizes she's in a predicament, she, she says, hey, I've got to go before someone that can help me. So she went to the judge, and Christ begins this, this, this parable with this, Pray and do not lose heart. That's what the New International Standard says. Pray and do not lose heart. Do not give up. And that Greek word translates give up 
literally means to be filled with bad thoughts. Now think about this. What he's talking about here is worry. Don't worry. Worry not. Pray and don't lose heart because you'll be filled with bad thoughts if you worry. Now worrying, think about what worrying is. It fills our minds with the worst things that could happen. Isn't that what worry does? Worry doesn't stay up here on the surface. It, it begins to lead our minds to think, what's the worst thing that could happen? David Dykes, he wrote this in Push. Push means pray until something happens. It's a message he preached. He says, worry is like water. It begins as a trickle of doubt that creeps into your mind. If it isn't stopped, it soon becomes a stream of fear which creates a pond of paranoia of para Y'all are right on board with that, see? You see right into my nose, paranoia. Which overflows into the river of distress, which develops into a raging torrent of tension. And before you know it, the flood of worry has carved a grand canyon of anxiety into your mind. Isn't that true? You know, worry just starts with that little drip. And then as you continue to worry and you continue to think it, it begins to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and some folks, they can just work themselves up into a, a grand canyon of anxiety. They just begin to think about what if this happened and what if this happens. And this widow, she could have done all of those things. What if they come? What if they take my land? What if they take my money? And she could have worried and worried and worried. But instead, she worried not. But she went to the one who could help her. And Jesus is using that in the thought of pray and not to lose heart. William Ward wrote about worry. He said, worry is faith in the negative. It's trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. Worry is a magnet that attracts negative circumstances. Worry is wasting time today to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Let me read that again. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. Y'all have heard, heard this story that, that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere with it. And that's so true. And this widow, we, we understood that she, she worried not. In, in the Apostle Paul in, in, in Rome, he's in a dungeon Y'all may have been here a few months ago or maybe a year or so ago. I, I put a picture of a dungeon up there, and it really showed a picture of where Paul was. And, and uh, he's under the street in many cases. They would place him under the street, and there would be a grate. And they would be in a, a square prison underneath the street, and people walked above them, and, and animals went above them, and, and everything that follows that was falling down into that cell where Paul was. And... And he's there in those conditions. And look at the word he wrote in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, do not be anxious or do not be worrying about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your heart, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. 
Boy, that's a great passage. If you're one that tends to worry, flip over there to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Underline that in your Bible. Say, you know what, I don't really remember that. And then right on the inside cover of your Bible, write worry not, and then put Philippians 4, 6 and 7. So when you worry, you can just open that front flap of your Bible and you can say, oh, there's a good scripture I need to go to. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, this is the greatest part of that verse, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Remember these words. They're, they're penned by a man that's sitting in a dungeon in a prison in chains who really doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He, he may lose his head. Boy, we're going to go study Paul. I keep saying that, but, but Paul is, in the, is just nearly in the grips of death. And he's in, the, he's in this prison. Let me read the message, how it says it. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worry into prayer. Did you hear that? This is just a translation called the message. Let your petition and praises shape your worries into prayers. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and it will settle you down. When we have challenging circumstances, I would ask you today, if there's anyone here who's never had a challenging circumstance, we all have them. We may say, I don't have any huge ones. The parable don't say if it's a huge circumstance. It simply says... Pray and don't lose heart. When we have challenging circumstances, there's going to be two options we have. The first option is this. We can worry about it. We can just say, woe is me. We can sit. We can wring our hands. We can worry about the challenges before us. Or we can pray about them. Those are your only two options. You can, you can worry about them or you can pray about them. I, I read this story about a man who was a... a uh, uh, Construction owned a construction company, and in his construction company, he was losing sleep about worrying about his company. He, he wasn't making any money. He didn't know how he was going to uh, make it to the next day, and this is a true story. So one morning, uh, he woke up. He had worried all night about his company, about how he was going to move forward with the company, and he opened his, uh, his devotional guide, and that morning he read from Matthew chapter 6. Now, we're not going to go read Matthew chapter 6, but... I'd encourage you to do that. That's another scripture under worry. If you want to write in there, Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is where we see Christ commanding his followers not to worry. But he says this in Matthew 6, and you've, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Consider the sparrows, or consider the birds. They don't plant, nor do they harvest, nor do they store in barns. But your heavenly Father takes care of them. And you're much more valuable to him than to the sparrows. Then in this devotional guide he was reading, it spoke about how God cares for the birds so much that even if a single sparrow falls, that he, he sees it and God's aware and God cares. And then this, this is the verse that his study ended with, 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. A few days later, he said that he was on a job site and they were removing some trees and the landowner had noticed one of the trees had a bird nest in it with a bunch of baby birds. And uh, he marked the tree and left words on it, do not cut this tree down. Uh, 
On this day, they were to a point they had to cut the tree down. So the, uh, the construction owner, he got in his bucket, he went up and he looked in the nest and the birds were gone. Between the time originally that the, uh, uh, the homeowner had noticed the birds and the time the tree had to be removed, the birds were gone and only the nest was there. And uh, you know birds use all kinds of things to build their, build their nest, twigs and any kind of thing they can find. And he said the birds had flown and moved away and he was going through the nest and he was examining the nest. He, he discovered straw, twigs, and even little strips of paper to make the nest. And he removed one small sliver of paper. He says what he saw almost caused him to fall out of his bucket. Written on the fragment of the words of these paper were, God cares for you. He said in that moment I realized that God was using a nest to reinforce a message to me that, that God cares for me. Worry not, but in all things, pray and don't lose heart as we pray. The second thing is this, stop not. Don't stop praying. Pray persistently. In this parable, we, we see this widow. We've already talked about it. She, she keeps going before this judge over and over and over. She's going before this judge. She, she's peppering his ears with persistent perse uh, petition. She's going before him. She's going before him. I want to ask you this. Have you ever asked God for something and when he didn't answer your prayer immediately, you just quit praying? I mean, you prayed about it and you... you now, folks, I want to stop and qualify this. This isn't talking about our sins. I mentioned this last week. When we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us, and he remembers them no more. When we confess our sins, we don't have to confess our sins over and over and over. Now, if we're committing that sin over and over and over, God's not going to forgive us till we stop and repent. That's what the Bible says, repent. But, but if we have a sin in our lives and we're ready to repent and, and change from those ways and we confess it to God, we don't need to persistently pray about that sin. Christ is talking about something completely different in his teachings here. He's talking about a prayer, something we're going before God, and we continue to pray that prayer, a persistent prayer. That's what we see in this widow. She, she's praying persistently, and, and I ask you this question. Have you ever prayed for something and you just quit, quit praying for it? That's a big mistake. If you're praying for something, the most effective prayers in the Bible are those who were prayed persistently. Listen to this. I have some examples. David wrote this in Psalms 55, 16, and 17. I call to God, and the Lord saves me. When does he call to God? Evening, morning, and noon. I cried in my distress, and he hears my voice. David wasn't one that just had this one-a-day vitamin prayer that he just throwed out before God, but he says here... I pray, I'm an all-day prayer, morning, noon, and night. I'm crying out before the Lord persistently. David is praying. The Old Testament, Hannah, y'all remember here, her, she was desperate for a child. And she, she didn't have a child, and she prayed over and over and over that she, God would give her a child. And, and she was in the temple, and she prayed. For years, she prayed for a child. And and she could have said, well, it's just not God's will. I've, just, I've prayed it a couple times. I've, I've not, I'm not with child, so, so I'm just going to get... She kept on praying, and eventually God gave her a son. Who was it? Samuel. Y'all remember that? A, a great man that God used mightily. He was a mighty prophet, and, and that came because of Hannah and her persistent prayer that God would grant her a child. 
Even Jesus prayed persistently. Y'all remember the night before he was crucified? Where was he at? He was in the garden praying. And what does the Bible say? Three times he prayed the exact same prayer. He said, Lord, take this cup. Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. He prayed that again and again and again. Persistency in our prayer. You remember Paul. Paul had some kind of affliction that he called a thorn in the flesh. That's what Paul called it. And the Bible says he begged the Lord to remove the pain. He, not, he didn't ask one time. He didn't ask two times. It's recorded that three times in Scripture that he went before the Lord and he said, Lord, remove this thorn in my flesh. Remove this, this pain I had. And, and when God answered, it wasn't the answer that Paul wanted. What God did is he gave... Paul, the grace to overcome the pain. He didn't take the thorn away. He, whatever it was, there's been a lot of thoughts about what it was. His, uh, he, he walked with a limp or his eyes were fading. There's been a lot of thoughts about whatever this was. But, but God said, I'm going to answer this, this, this prayer, Paul, but I'm not going to do it the way you think I should. But he gave him the grace to overcome, to cope with. Isn't that great? Isn't that even better than what Paul asked for? That, that God increased his grace, God increased his strength, that he might overcome. You know, persistence is, is important in, in prayer. Uh, in every area of our Christian life, we need to be persistent. I was thinking about Emmett Smith. Y'all know Emmett Smith? Is anybody too young to know Emmett Smith? You know, Emmett Smith... Uh, he wasn't a flashy runner, was he? I mean, like Walter Payton, the sweetness, you know, he was that flashy runner. Or uh, Barry Sanders, boy, I like Barry Sanders. He was a great runner. Or, or even uh, Tony Dorsett, you know, he was flashy. Boy, he'd get out there in open field. But Emmett wasn't that way. He, he just kept on running. That's what he did. He was just a persistent runner. Oh, he broke some big runs, but people would run him down. When he broke the rushing title in the NFL, he rushed for more than 673 yards. That's nine and a half miles that he ran the football. But listen, it took him 13 years to run nine and a half miles. Last week, we had a week four, it may have been last week, I don't know. We had a Cooper track meet. Was that last week or week before? Boy, it seems like it was yesterday, but anyway. In that track meet, some kids there, some students there, probably ran two or three miles in one day, just that one day. But Emmett ran 13, uh, nine and a half miles, but it took him 13 years. So what was the difference? Why could, why could some students go to a, a year of high school and in that year through two or three track meets run over nine miles? The difference was... There were 11 huge defensive players trying to take Emmett Smith's head off every time he ran the ball. In other words, every time he got the ball, somebody was trying to tackle him. They did tackle him 3,983 times. Nearly 4,000 times Emmett Smith was knocked down on his way to the record. But you know what he done every time he got knocked down? He got up. He went back to the huddle, and he ran again. He, he went over and over. And, oh, there were some injuries during there. He played through most of them. But I'm impressed with the fact that, that after being knocked down over 4,000 times, he got up. 
return to the huddle. You know why he said he done that? He said he done that because he told his mom, I'll jump up and run back to the huddle so you'll know I'm not hurt. <laughs> that was his reasoning for that. I'm not going to lay there and roll around on the field. I'm going to jump up and I'll get back to the huddle and you'll know everything's okay. That's persistence. God grants answered prayers and God hears us and God appreciates when we're persistent. And am I saying that God made Emmett Smith uh, run all those doors? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it took persistence in his life. And folks, in our life as Christians, we need to be persistent in our prayer life. Here's the third thing. Doubt not. Doubt not. You know, this parable, we're, uh, we're talking about this widow. She, she didn't worry. She was persistent in her request, but uh, we don't need to doubt. Does God compare himself to that crooked judge? Of course not. We don't need to miss that in this parable. God's not comparing himself to that, that crooked judge. It has to be pestered or has to be coerced into answering our prayer. That's not what this parable's about. He'll answer our prayers, and he answers our prayers continuously. And we, and we don't need to doubt about what that, and, and we need to expect God to answer our prayers. When we pray something, I want to ask you, when you pray for something, do you expect God to answer your prayer? Or do you say, well, I'm going to throw up a prayer. Who knows? It might work. You know, who, who knows? Maybe God will do something about it. Maybe it'll work, but I'm going to throw this prayer up, but in the meantime, uh, I'm going to go and try to handle all these things myself. Well, God gives us the wisdom to be able to handle some things, but when we pray to God, we need to expect God to answer our prayers. That's not my words. Those are in James chapter 1, 6, and 7. We're told that when we pray for wisdom, God will give it to us generously. Then James adds this powerful warning about prayer. <coughs> he says, don't let doubt creep in our prayers, but we must ask in faith without doubt, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed around by the wind. Such a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Did you hear that? Listen. When we pray, we pray in faith without doubt. For if you're doubting, you're like one tossed around by the sea, you're driven and tossed by the wind. Such a person who prays with doubts should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Over in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, John says this, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Isn't that great? You know, that's the truth of God's Word. You may say, well, I, I, just, I doubt that. Don't doubt! Don't doubt it. James says, man, if you're doubt, you, you don't need to expect anything from God. John says this, go before God, ask anything. Here's the key to that. According to his will, and he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we, know that we, have, what we have asked of him. So John says, when we go before the Lord, and, and James says, when we go before the Lord, doubt not. Pray persistently and pray positively and doubt not. I wonder if there's not some people here that's, that's quit praying because they simply didn't get an answer. They didn't get an answer. They, they prayed and, and they, didn't, uh, they, uh, they didn't hear anything from God, so they just said, well, you know what? God's not going to answer this prayer. I, I heard this story about this Sunday school teacher, and she was, uh, been, had her, her children praying for a missionary. 
And so one Sunday she said, we're going to write a letter from this missionary, but don't expect to hear back from him because he's very busy and he couldn't have time to answer every letter that was sent from our Sunday school class. And one little boy wrote in his letter, Dear Mr. Smith, I'm praying for you, but I don't expect to get an answer. <laughs> That's how we pray sometimes. I'm praying, but you know what? I really don't expect to get an answer. So when we pray and we read here in John, and I know this can be confusing in 1 John, that anything we ask of God according to his will, he hears us, and whatever we ask or whatever we know, that, that he hears us and he answers us. I know sometimes that can be confusing. So I want to close up with these last little four things. The first is this. God may answer our prayers quickly. Now think about this. Quickly is a, is a, a relative term, isn't it? If, if someone has, a, has an accident and uh, are injured, we would say, call 911 quickly. But if a couple comes and says, I want to get married and, and we've been dating just three months, we would say, boy, that's, that's awful quick, isn't it? It's kind of a relevant term, isn't it? I mean, quickly can mean different things. And, and Jesus uses these words... And he, he uses a word kind of that would mean suddenly. In other words, suddenly we're praying, quickly we're praying, and suddenly, boom, God answers our prayer. Just, just kind of like this. Maybe, maybe you've been praying something for months, and then, and then suddenly God answers your prayer. I heard about a lady who, who rushed into a mall that was going to, she had one little purchase she needed to, to buy. It was pouring down rain. She didn't have an umbrella. She had been to the beauty parlor. She had her hair all fixed up real nice. She didn't have a scarf. Do the ladies wear scarves anymore? You know, the scarf. She didn't have a scarf. And uh, she just prayed, Lord, uh, please help me find a good parking place close to the door. I don't have an umbrella. I need to get to the door. And she was just voicing that prayer. All of a sudden, she said, the backup lights come out right next to the door. And she just said, never mind, Lord. I found one right here. I don't need you anymore. God answered that prayer so quickly. I, I believe this. Y'all may think I'm crazy after today. We were driving to Sulphur Springs. Jason was just pretty little, and we were driving along, and we ran into a horrible rainstorm. I mean, it was just one of those, just a wall of rain. And as soon as I hit it, I kind of let off my, my gas pedal, and you know the danger of that is that person behind you is still running 70, and just nearly immediately we went out of it. And I, I told Denise, I said, boy, that was, that was hard rain for just a second. And Jason just in the back seat said, I just prayed that God would make it quit raining. <laughs> well, we could say, never mind, Lord, it quit on its own. But I, I really believe that God had something to do with that. I believe in, in, in her simple prayer that we had no idea that she was praying, that, that God said, okay, move on through. Folks, sometimes we need to realize that God answers our prayer suddenly, sometimes quickly, Sometimes suddenly, but God will respond, and he hears, and he answers our prayer. The second thing is this. God may answer our prayers later. You know, this statement, I, I want you to, to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. And we're getting close to finishing up this morning. God always answers prayer immediately, but sometimes it's later. Now, I'm going to explain that. God always answers prayers immediately, but sometimes... It's later. You know, when our prayers get to heaven, God acts on that request immediately. But sometimes it may take a while before we get that answer, before we get that resolution. 
That's not just my ideal. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is praying for an answer from God. He is persistently praying. He's praying God's will be done. He, he says, God, I need this answer from you. I need your will to be done. I need to know how to move forward. He's praying persistently to God in God's will that God's will would be done, but he doesn't get an answer. Y'all familiar with this story? You know what happens? As Gabriel is coming to bring Daniel his answer, he's interrupted by the prince of Persia, which is a demonic spirit. This is in Daniel chapter 10, if you want to go read about it. So, Daniel requests a prayer, requests an answer. God is delivering his answer, but the archangel Michael has to go and fight against the prince or this demonic spirit who has delayed Daniel's answer. That's in Scripture. God answered it immediately. But it was some time later before Daniel ever got his answer. Wouldn't it have been tragic if Daniel had said, Well, I'm just giving up, God. You're not going to answer me. I've prayed. i prayed in your will. i prayed your will be done. I'm where I need to be spiritually. But you know what? God, you didn't answer me. I'm going to quit. When the whole time there's a battle going on, and we understand from Ephesians that, folks, we're in a spiritual battle. The Bible says we're fighting against not flesh and blood, but against powers and prince of powers and spiritual forces in heavenly places. When we're praying, our prayers are being battled against by Satan and his forces. You better believe that because that's what God's Word has to say. So sometimes God answers our prayers, but they're later. The next thing, sometimes God answers our prayers, but they're better. You know, sometimes God has something better in store for us. I believe probably everyone here could, could maybe chuckle at this. Uh, Ruth Bell Graham, she's the wife of Billy Graham, she once said, if God answered every prayer of mine, I would have married the wrong man seven times. <laughs> you know, I bet, I bet you some of us can relate to that. You know, if God had answered every prayer you've ever prayed, there, there's no telling where we'd be. Because... So often we think this is the way I need to go. This is the best path for me. And we don't, don't happen. And we say, God, I don't understand why that didn't happen. And, and the reason being is God has something better for us. A good illustration, I read a story about a little boy who had the ugliest bicycle in town. It was, uh, it was a bunch of other bicycles that were just put together. And it, it had handlebars. It didn't have no grips on it. You know, that's hard to ride. Kids don't ride bicycles like we did when I was young. That's all we did was ride bicycles. And... And they went into the hardware store, Western Auto, and there in the, the front window were a, a set of handlebar grips for $3. And this little guy went to his dad and said, Daddy, I just got to have them. Please, Daddy, I just want those grips so bad. I, I want these grips. And, and his dad said, No, you don't need those grips. And come on back with me to the back of the store. Y'all kind of already probably know what's going to happen. And, and on the way to the back of the store... <laughs> this little guy was bitter, he was frustrated, he said, $3 for a set of grips, and that's all I wanted. I never get anything. It's, it's just a lousy three bucks, and, and man, that just ain't fair, and that's mean. And he, he's mummering those things under his breath, and when he gets to the back of the store, the, the store owner uh, wheels out this brand new bicycles with, with handlebar grips and, and streamers and all of those things, and and this young man's uh, dad said, Here you go, son. The reason you didn't need those was I've ordered you a, a birthday present, and it's just came in, and, and it's a little bit earlier, but, but here's what I have for you. And, and you know, as Christians, as simple as that is, don't we do that sometimes? 
I mean, we pray for something to God, and, and when we don't get it, we whine about it and say, God, I just don't understand. This is what I wanted. This is where I need to be. And, and all the while, God's saying, you know what? I have something better for you than you know about. Just imagine if Denise had, had married that first guy that she dated. Wouldn't that have been horrible for her? Amen. Thank you, Steve. Same thing, Tina. Thank you if Tina had hooked up with us, some of my old hairy legs that she probably dated, you know, in the past. And sometimes God has better, something better for us in store. Ron Dunn, a, a book that says he wrote, Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something. He says, God answers prayer along the route that will bring him the most glory. And on the way to better, sometimes it may pass the worst for a while. Did you hear that? God answers prayers along the route that brings him the most glory. And on the way to better, it may pass by worse for a little while. The last thing this morning, God may answer our prayer, no. Boy, we don't want to hear that, do we? <laughs> God's, God's answer must maybe no. Sometimes we may ask God for something and he simply says no, but, but that's still an answer to prayer, isn't it? And, and here's the thing. Don't ever stop praying until you hear an answer from God, even if it's no. If it's no, at that point you can probably stop. But, but keep praying till God answers that prayer or you hear a definite no from God, and, and there's ways to hear that, folks. If you study Word and you spend some time in God's Word, then you need to know that, that God will give you a peace and God will give you a, a confirmation when he's answered that prayer. C.S. Lewis wrote, Prayer is a request. The essence of a request, as distinct from a demand, is it that it may or may not be granted. In other words, a request may or may not be granted. That's what prayer is. It's simply a request. And if an infinite, wise being listens to the request of a finite and foolish creature, of course, he will sometimes grant them and sometimes refuse them. Then he says, if God had granted all the silly prayers that I've made in my life, where would I be now? You know, uh, y'all, some of y'all remember a few years ago in Washington, there were snipers. Y'all remember that? And they were shooting. They didn't know where they were at. They were shooting people. And if I remember the story correctly, they had poked the taillight out of a vehicle, and there was a, they were in the back of that van vehicle, and they were shooting through a taillight as they were driving around. This went on for a couple weeks. You may not remember it, but it was... It was everywhere in the news. You know, people would just be driving down the expressway and they'd get shot. Well, the person you probably wouldn't remember was Ron Lance. Uh, he found the sniper's car. He was a truck driver. He saw this car. He called 911. He used his, his rig to block the exit ramp uh, in case the, they were asleep, in case they woke up and tried to leave. Then, of course, he called 911. Ron Lance claims that finding the snipers was an answer to prayer. Listen to this. A few nights earlier, Ron joined over 50 truckers at a prayer meeting where they asked God to help them find the snipers. 
Ron was nearing his retirement and didn't uh, even live in that area, but he felt co to compelled to go attend a prayer meeting. After the prayer time, Ron told several of his friends that he felt that God was going to use him to help catch the snipers. The rest of the story is Ron had refused to be called a hero. He insisted uh, that it was a simple act of prayer, and he was a simple Miranda prayer. He offered to divide the half a million dollar reward among the families of the sniper victims. Now, that's a class act, isn't it? But that's through prayer, and he gave God the glory through prayer. Jacob prepared to meet Esau. And if you go and read that story in Genesis 32, he wrestles all night with an angel. And as he's wrestling, uh, the sun begins to come up. I don't know if he had the uh, rear naked choke on him or the, uh, the uh, uh, full Nelson, whatever he had on him. He had a hold of this angel. I also don't know if that angel might not have been strong enough to get away or if God was just simply trying to teach him a lesson. But the angel said, let me go. The sun's coming up. And Jacob said, I, I won't let you go until you bless me. Jacob was going to meet Esau, and he was afraid Esau was going to kill him. I want you to imagine Jacob hanging on to that angel and simply saying, I'm not going to let this go until you bless me. And the angel finally said, okay, I'm going to bless you. Uh, the reason I'm not so sure it was a fixed fight is the Bible says the angel touched Jacob's hip and disjointed it. He had a death grip on it. He was holding on to what he wanted. And the angel says, from now on, you'll not be called Jacob, but you'll be called, incidentally, Jacob meant the grabber. If you know that story, you know why. It says, but now on you'll be called Israel, which means the Prince of God. What a great lesson for prayer. I mean, a, a persistent prayer. Have you got something that you could grab onto in God and, and simply come before him time after time, persistently praying that his will be done and not stopping until he answers? Will you bow your heads with me this morning? What is God trying to say to you personally today? Are you consumed with worry or anxiety? Pray instead. Have you stopped praying about some need in your life? Stop not. Are you considering quitting some area? Maybe somewhere God has you serving, God has you working. Maybe something God has you doing, and, and boy, you're, you're like that, that home builder, that construction guy. You know, man, things just ain't going, and, and I just need to, I think I'm going to have to quit. Be persistent. Quit not. If you have doubts in your prayer life, God's not answering your prayer, maybe, maybe you need to go back and do some self-examination. You know, if we harbor sin within our heart, God doesn't hear our prayers. That's what the Bible says. But however God would be speaking to you this morning, I want to ask you, would you start praying, praying positively and expect to hear from God? And I want you to start that right now. We're going to spend just a moment in prayer as we close together. And 
we're not going to have an invitation this morning, but I just want to give you some quiet time to, to spend in prayer. I, I've said several times over the last few weeks, I know we as Christians, sometimes we, if we fail at anything, we fail in that area of prayer. So this morning, would you just spend some time just lifting up your request to God?